morning, Greenville Oaks. It's good to be with you. And uh, I've heard great reports about the uh, women's retreat that happened yesterday, and I'm so glad so many of you got to be a part of that, to really be a part of the real life God has called us to. And so I'm grateful for the ways that our, our women are being uh, refreshed and for all the dads that were with kids this week doing your job, right? This is not babysitting dads. This is your job. And so thanks for doing that and allowing your, your spouses and others a chance to do that. Let's uh, begin by opening to the book of John, if you would. John chapter 10. I want to read a, a verse here as we uh, continue into this series about life and life abundantly that Jesus offers to us. John 10, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Uh, That's one translation, the way the NIV translates that passage. But I like the way the New Living Translation uh, puts this verse as well. I think it brings out a, a whole sense to it that's helpful this morning. So I want to read from the New Living Translation. It says, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. This is the word of the Lord, and this is the truth that God, through Jesus, speaks to us. And so several things, just initially, we'll spend some time in this passage a bit later, but several things I noticed right off the bat in this passage is that there is a thief. There is an enemy who's out against us to take from us, to steal, to kill, and destroy. And some of you have had some precious things taken from you in your life. And you know that the thief was behind that. But there's good news in this passage as well because Jesus comes for a different purpose. His purpose is to give us a rich and satisfying life. And the third thing is, who are you going to choose to be a part of? You're going to choose to follow the thief who steals and kills and destroys, or are you going to be a part of a life that Jesus offers to us? That's the offer this morning from Jesus that I want to set before us. The problem is, it seems simple when you read this verse, but the thief knows how to lie and and to confuse things in this world. So sometimes it looks like God's the one who's the taker and the thief's the one who's the giver, but I want to assure you this morning, it's the other way around. We'll talk more about this in a moment. Let's begin with prayer this morning. Father, we ask this morning that you would reveal yourself clearly to us, That you would show us that the one who promises life, the thief, is actually the one who takes it away. And God, you are the one who offers us real, satisfying, abundant life. Father, this morning we're in search of that kind of life. We, We desire a life that's full. We desire a life that is abundant. We desire a life that is fully satisfying. So this morning, God, would you offer us that life? Again, would you uh, make it more clear than it's been before? Would you allow us steps going forward to step into this full life that you promised? It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. All of us have had experiences with salespeople. And I have to remember, I have to be careful in a conversation like this because some of you are those salespeople. And I had an experience this week, and the good news about being a preacher is if you have an experience that's not so good, you get to share it as an illustration on Sunday morning. On Tuesday, my car uh, engine service light went on. And so Wednesday, I went into the car sales uh, repair shop, which will rename, remain nameless today. But I went into and, and I, I showed them the, the light and I said, I need some help with my car. There was a recall that I'd gotten several notices about, so I was going to take care of that. 
as well. So they gladly took in the car, and I, I asked if they had a loaner because Holly was going to be out of town for the weekend, and I had the kids. And, and, and so they said, well, actually, we're all booked up with loaner vehicles in the next week. So I said, well, that's fine. We'll figure out transportation. So I put the car in, and, uh, and so on, on Wednesday, the car was in the shop, and finally I get a call back later that day. And I don't know about you, some of you, you probably are fine going to the car shop without any help, but I need a translator when I'm at the car repair shop. It's a little bit of an intimidating experience. And so I have to act like I understand everything they're saying when they come back with whatever's wrong, you know, but so I don't get taken advantage of. So when he says that, and let me get these words right, when he says that the cam, the exhaust cam solenoid is intermittently setting code, which affects the variable timing, I didn't have a clue what that meant. It was all, it was all Greek to me. Well, I, I kind of get Greek, I guess. It was another language to me. And so I responded with the only thing I knew to say, which was, well, I expected that information, but did you find anything wrong with the rear fram sack? Now, Framsack is the word that I've termed uh, to use with home and car salespeople because I want them to think that I know something they don't. It doesn't mean anything. But it at least kind of lets me in on some kind of lingo to let them know, well, I've got to be on guard. This guy knows about the Framsack. And he hadn't discovered anything wrong with the Framsack. But what he did find was a long list of things beyond what he described to me. I still don't understand what it was that was wrong with my car. He said that I needed an oil change, my oil was dirty, and that I needed a tire rotation, which is interesting because I had had a tire rotation and an oil change within the last 1,500 miles. So that puts me on guard about all kinds of, of other things, right? I mean, you know how this kind of thing goes. I mean, there's, there's four things that I want in a good sales experience. And the first is I, I don't want to be taken advantage of. And that's what I'm concerned about when I'm walking into these situations. The second is, I I want a good product. The third is, I want a good guarantee that if something goes wrong with the product, that there will be some kind of process to make sure I get what's needed. And then fourth, I want to receive a a product equal to or greater than the cost that I pay into the situation. And that's what's always going through my mind as I'm walking through something with a salesperson is, can I be guaranteed of these four things? And i got to tell you, I got off the phone with the car Repair guy, I didn't feel that way. In fact, it's interesting. When they told me that I'd be paying over $1,000 for all my repairs, they found a loaner vehicle. It was amazing. Um, And that causes all kinds of questions to come up. You've had these experiences before, haven't you? Uh, Now, I'm a a Buick. I'm a brought-up-in-church kid, which means that I kind of know how this sales pitch thing in Christianity goes. I've been to church Bible camp before, and some of you have as well. And you know that on Thursday night, there's going to be this emotional invitation that's given. Everyone kind of expects for this to happen, the last big night at camp. And, and, and usually you can expect several things to happen with the sales pitch and the invitation as it comes. Tears are going to be shed, especially from those teenage girls, and we don't know quite what it is that's the reason for those tears. It may be the drama earlier in the week at camp. It may be God at work. Sins are going to be confessed. The baptistry is probably going to get some use. And those CDs that some brought on the trip are going to get burned and thrown into the fire. Anybody remember that? Cassettes maybe too? You had this experience, right? Get rid of your old rock music, right? And then you go home and you have to rebuy all those albums that you threw in the fire. Now, now don't get me wrong. Some, some great things happen at camp. I had some life-change experience, life-changing experiences at Bible camp. In fact, I made a decision to follow Jesus. I wasn't baptized. I 
decided I'd be baptized later that year on my 13th birthday, but it was a decision that was made as a result of a talk that talked about uh, how I needed to get right with God. And the talk every year was similar. It was that you're a sinner. You've got sin involved in your life, that you're separated from God, that God cannot be connected with sin, and so we're separated from Him. And hell is a reality for those who are separated from God. But the good news is that Jesus came to die to establish relationship again, to forgive our sins, and then we get to go to heaven. And with the right setting and the right amount of shame and guilt and the right invitation, it's amazing the response that can be developed. In fact, there's a sociology to this that concerns me in some sense. I've heard of people coming in from trips afar that are doing door-knocking campaigns, and some preachers have told me stories about them coming in and saying, if we just hit this many houses, we'll have this many conversations, and we can be assured of this many baptisms. As if it's our work that we're manipulating and not the Holy Spirit that's at work in the lives of people. Now, some of us have been saved because of those door-knocking, and so I don't want to... devalue what God does and how he brings us all to a saving relationship with him. But it's amazing how this pitch can become uh, our way of twisting arms. And I got to tell you, part of the reason I was baptized, in fact, majority of the reason I was baptized was because of a fear of where I would end up in eternity. It wasn't so much that I was heading towards an abundant, full life that Jesus offers to me. It was because I didn't want to go to another place. Here's the thing I've found out about fear in my life. Fear can be an effective way to get people to make decisions, but fear is a terrible way for us to make disciples. Fear works in the short term from time to time, and and I'm glad that I came to a decision to be baptized, and fear was a part of that equation, but I'm telling you, you cannot be sustained in a lifetime journey of faith toward God with fear being the primary motivator all of your life. There's got to be something else to this whole story And I think part of the the, the place we go to to find out the more of that story is in the passage I've read this morning. It's from John 10, verse 10. So after my baptism, I I was more certain of my future in heaven, but I I really wasn't sure what to do with the rest of my life on earth. And, And what I did receive was other sales pitches. Because I received this every year at summer camp, but the rest of the year I watched enough TV and I paid attention to enough of American culture to know another success route that there might be. And the path went something like this. Get an education. Get an attractive, uh, successful, funny spouse. Get a job with a clear track record toward financial success. Get a good house in a good neighborhood. Get some kids. Get a better house in a better neighborhood. And then keep upgrading, just not the spouse, right? And that's the message I remember getting growing up. Not in the church, but this was the the message I was getting in culture about how life goes and what really bothers me now that I think back on it is I didn't see much problem with pursuing both of those tracks. Because the fear route and the heaven route was about what happened after I died. This was about what happens in the meantime while we're waiting on death. And the vision was actually easier to accomplish the way the world pitched it because there were clear steps on how to get from here to there. And I'm afraid that's why many of uh, us are struggling with the reality that so many are not coming to faith is that it's so clear these steps in American culture, how you get to success, how fulfillment comes, where the good life comes from. The sales pitch, the world's got it down. I mean, what do we want? We don't want to be taken advantage of. We want a good product. We want a good guarantee. And we, we want to make sure that the cost that we put into it 
isn't greater than the product we receive in return. And the American sales pitch seemed to promise all those things with very little risk. And it didn't really seem to conflict with my Christian beliefs about what would happen, about where I went after death. The American culture's thing didn't even involve any guilt along the way. It was just, if you pursue this path, then you can be assured of these things happening on the back end. The the problem is, John 10.10 shares some words with us that really counter this message. So I want to go back to John 10.10, the New Living Translation. Again, it says, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I believe this pitch about American success culture is a message that sounds like we're going to get and we're going to get and we're going to get. But what I find more and more in the lives of people that I talk to is really, it's about what gets taken from us in the process. That's a route that the thief offers to us. It just looks a lot better because the thief is the father of lies, is able to paint things in a perfect picture when actually it's not so good. And this is what I found is that the thief over-promises, but he always under-delivers. Some of you know this journey because you've been on it. You've pursued that path of education and relationships and, and children and the right house and the right neighborhood and the right school system. And some of you have been promised success and fulfillment, but you couldn't ever get to the top of the ladder for a variety of reasons. Maybe it was that debt that you always had to kind of increase to make sure that life was where it needed to be. Or maybe you were on that path and that ladder, but the son of the boss ended up keep getting the promotions. And he had like four or five kids, right? Something maybe got in your way so you could never quite get to the top and experience what was promised. That the thief had dangled out there for you to say, just stay on the ladder, just keep it going. And, and some of us live with so much regret about the time that we gave away about the time we would have wished we would have spent with our kids rather than killing it for our boss and it never came through? How many of us have been on that track and we never quite got there? But others of us, we have gotten there. Some of you got to the top of the ladder. The problem was you realized that all that work and effort climbing the ladder never got the success and fulfillment that was promised when you got there. So you get to the top and you've done all this work and you peek over the wall that you've been climbing and you realize, man, this ladder was up against the wrong wall. All this work, all this effort, all the time away from the the ball fields, all the time away from, from mom back home keeping the kids, whatever it was that kept you on this track, it didn't fulfill as it had hoped. And in the end, this is the truth, is that so many of us are pursuing success, and it's an artificial success. There's a veneer that things look good on the outside, but underneath, it's all cracked. There's just rubble underneath it. And the thief knows how to pitch this message in a way that we pursue it, we give all of our lives to it, we think we're going to get there, and in the end, what's found? It's artificial. It's fake. The emperor has no clothes. Or Solomon concludes after his search for meaning in the book of Ecclesiastes, after he gains all that he ever sought after, what he says in the end is everything is meaningless. Chasing after the wind. And all through the book, he talks about the pursuits that he gave, trying to gain this and he got it, and he gains this and he gets it. You want to read about someone who gained everything he ever wanted, and in the end, all he ever says is, enjoy life with your wife, enjoy food and drink, fear God and keep his commandments. That's really where life is found. He had it all and he found no meaning in it. In John 10.10, Jesus explains His purpose for all people. Jesus came so that you might have an abundant life, a rich and satisfying life. 
That's the way the New Living Translation puts it. The gospel isn't primarily a message about where you're going to spend eternity. Because eternal life isn't just about what happens after we die. Eternal life has already begun. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're already a part of the eternal life that's promised into eternity. Many of you know John 3.16 by heart. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. This is the promise that's offered. God loves the world so much He sends His Son. And what does He offer in the end? He offers eternal life. But in John 3.16, eternal life is present tense. We would have eternal life. Not that one day we'll get there and finally get the, the promise that's been offered. It's something that we can possess in this life. Because eternal life literally means life without beginning, life without end. So there is a quantitative reality when it, we talk about eternal life, about abundant life that God offers. It's quantitative. There's, there's, there's a lot of it, right? It goes from with no beginning, no end. It goes on and on. But there's more than just John 3.16 because later in the Gospel of John, Jesus continues to talk about eternal life over and over again. And one of the places he talks about it is in the 17th chapter of John. If you have your Bibles, open with me to John 17. I want to read verse 3 to you. These are the words of Jesus once again. So he's talked about God sent me into the world so that you might have eternal life. That's sacrifice. But this is more about eternal life. John 17 verse 3. Now this is eternal life. Okay, if Jesus is saying, if you want to know how it's defined, he's about to define it for us. This is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's an interesting definition, isn't it? If I were asked what eternal life is, I don't think that I'd respond in this way. I'd talk about how long eternal life. We tend to think about quantity when we think about abundant life, or when we think about eternal life, how long it is. But the way Jesus talks about eternal life in John 17 is a qualitative kind of life. Listen again. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is to know God and to know Him fully. To be in relationship with Him. One of the first sermons I preached here at Greenville Oaks, I said to you, I believe that following Jesus Christ and the way that He has set out for us is the best way of life possible. And I'm all in on Jesus, not because of the eternal rewards alone. That's icing on the cake. I would be all in on this even without that because I believe the path that Jesus has called us to live is actually a better way of life than any other kind of life. God is the one who designed this whole thing. Anyone who invents anything, we ought to listen to how they tell us to use the product It's been invented. God has created this world in a certain way with certain parameters, with certain laws for us to follow, not so that we might be led away from life, but so that John 10.10 may be true, that we might experience a rich and full life. So who wouldn't want in on a sales pitch like that? Again, if we talk about eternal consequences and all that, I'm telling you, that can help people make decisions. I made a decision because of that, and I don't want to downplay what a gift that is because I am grateful that death is not the end. We talked about this in our death series, that Jesus has defeated death, and one day we're going to get to see God face to face. But we don't have to wait on that because full life, rich and satisfying life, significant life, not that artificial success stuff, begins now. But that begs a lot of questions, doesn't it? Because when we look at our lives, how many of us would really say that abundant life is what we're experiencing right now? 
In fact, isn't that abundance idea, the quantitative idea, a little bit overwhelming in first century culture? When we use the term full, it's not a good thing usually, right? I mean, full gas tank's not a bad thing, but how many of you had that experience? Oh, I'm so full, right? Our schedule, our time is so full and packed. It's amazing in American culture how different things were from the first century, where abundance was all good when there was never enough to go around. But we live in a world where full seems like it's too much, where maybe some of us have too much. But it's not found in that success route of full in that sense. It's a quality of life. So many of us have an abundance when it comes to quantity, but we're still searching for meaning and significance and the richness of life. And this is what Jesus offers is a full life, a a significant life, a life that's truly satisfying. Right now, I want to invite you, there should be a card in the the seat that you sat in or in the the chair in front of you. I want to ask you to take out that card that's in front of you, each each one of you. Uh, This is a bookmark I'd love for you to take with you, but I, I found a scale this week that was really helpful in trying to explain what abundant life is. You see uh, on the left side of that card that that there's no interest in God is negative 10. Some of you may have been in that place. Some of you may feel right now, I, don't, I don't, really don't have an interest in God at all right now. Zero would be the point of conversion. Positive 10 would be abundant life as Jesus promises in John 10, 10. Now what's interesting is, growing up, most of what I remember being talked about was the left side of the scale. In fact, that's what Bible camp and that experience was really all about, was if we could get them to zero, then we'd be doing good. And how many of you, I mean, isn't that a great step in the life of your children? We pray that they'll come to a point to making a decision to follow Jesus. We want people to come to this decision to follow Him. And there are so many people, many of us probably still, that haven't quite made that full decision. Jesus is Lord. I want to commit my life. I want to be baptized into His name, experiencing the death and the resurrection of Jesus to new life. But I want to tell you, there's a right side of the scale as well. And so getting people to zero, that's a great project, and we want to bring more people along to get to that point. And maybe it's not jumping from negative seven to zero. Maybe it's inching along number by number, right? Sometimes it's amazing how fast we want to get people through a process that's really a journey that God has us on. But the journey continues after zero. Abundant life is what God promises. It's a a plus ten. It's a journey that continues in life. Some of you may be higher in those numbers, closer to experiencing that, but some of us have stalled out along the way, haven't we? Thinking, well, I guess this is all there is, and we're just waiting on Jesus to return. But what Jesus said himself is, I've come to give you life, a rich and satisfying life, an abundant life, and that's bigger than zero. So right now, what I'd like for you to do, I'd like for you to think right now, and maybe it's later this week you mark this down, maybe it's right now you mark this down. I want you to think about where are you on this scale? And let me say something clearly as I'm talking about, this is not a a spiritual ladder that we're trying to climb on, okay? It's not that God's more pleased with people who are nines and eights than he is with people who are twos. But the invitation is an invitation into into a full life. So if you mark yourself in in the negatives, let's talk about what it means to make that decision, to to have our lives all in, but let's not stop there. That's, That's just a finish line for a whole new journey, a starting line for a whole new journey. Some of you, you're around zero one, and you made the decision, and, and that was it. You figured that was the end of your journey, and now you're trying to pull others along, but maybe we're pulling them along into a zero or one life when God's talking about a ten life that he wants to pull us into. And some of you are maybe a two or a three or a five or a six, and, and maybe you don't know what your next step is. 
maybe you've, you've stepped as far as you know how to. And again, this is not trying to make God any more pleased with us than he already is. It's finding out where are we currently and what are the next steps that it looks like to, to pull us into more life. Isn't that what we want? Maybe not a quantitative more life. A lot of us feel like we have that, but it's a, it's a quality of life. It's a rich and satisfying life. Part of that means forsaking that journey of artificial success that's so common in our area, and it's pursuing a life that's full of significance. It's weighty. It's, it's not a facade. It's real. And, and, and maybe that's the, the next conversation for us. And over the next few weeks, I want to talk more about what it means, how we take these steps. And, and I'm not saying you move it directly to 10 this week. What I'm saying is let's work on that next number. Work on just making the next step in our lives that God's calling us to. It may be giving up certain things, or it may be taking on certain things. It may be stepping into relationship with people. It may be connecting with God on a more regular basis throughout our week. Maybe it's a commitment to prayer more often. Because you're never going to have a full and abundant life if you don't take time aside to get out of the rat race and connect with God and hear from His voice. Maybe it's to ask the Holy Spirit to do the Spirit's work in your life. through prayer. Maybe it is to be real. <laughs> Our women have talked about this this week, and it is to throw off the mask and, 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 and to be who you really are and step into the reality of where you are, not trying to fake a bigger number, but to realize that you're on a journey and God's got more ahead of you. I, I, I want nothing more than every one of us to move forward this year to more abundance. And sometimes the American church talks about this as health and wealth. I, I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about. I don't think it's about quantity in our world. I think this is about a quality of life. And sometimes less is more when it comes to that. This morning, I, I want to send you out the door with this bookmark. Keep it in your Bible, but before you put it in your Bible, mark where you believe you are right now. And don't have any shame or guilt about where you are. What it is is God wants to step you further into full life. And so this week, I want you to ponder that. What would it be that would take you from, from three to four this week, this, this year? What, what would it be that's the next thing that God's calling you Maybe it is the Sermon on the Mount. I found the Sermon on the Mount is one of the greatest pieces of Scripture that I've been able to form my life around, Matthew 5-7. through Maybe over the next few weeks, you're just going to begin to study that passage, but not just study it for, for head knowledge. What does it say at the end of the Sermon on the Mount? Whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the wise man. It's not about coming to church and hearing more. It's about hearing these words and putting them into practice. And when you put them into practice, you're, you're going to find more life. So this morning, I want to I pray for us as we close our time, but I, I don't want you to leave today without knowing where you find yourself today. It's not a perfect scale. It's a subjective thing for where you're at, but I want to tell you there's more life that Jesus is offering. And, I, and my hope is more and more as a church, we get to experience this together. Amen? In our small groups, we get to ask this question this week. Maybe, maybe you're not a part of a small group, and that's one of the questions this week I'm hoping our our connecting point groups will be a part. Ask is what does it look like for us to have more life in my life and in the life of our group together? Let's pray as we close today. God, we thank you for this offer of life. We thank you that death has been defeated. God, sometimes when I when I talk about life, sometimes we think we're devaluing uh, the afterlife and eternity and what you have for us in the days to come. We don't want to devalue that at all, but we do want to step into more life that you promised today. God, help us to be present in the moment. Help us to, to find where we are and to step forward. Some of us, God, this morning, we're, we're, we're struggling with even making the decision to follow you. And I pray you would come alongside, that you would, you, you would work to, to, 
to move each and every one of us to the belief in the truth, which is that your son is who he said he was. He is Lord. He is Savior. Some of us, God, have made decisions but didn't realize there was more life ahead even in this world. And so, God, we, we, we ask that you would draw us more into the life of your spirit, that we would know more clearly who you are and this life that you promised that is rich and satisfying. Many of us have been on this journey for a long time now, and I'm grateful for the, the people among us, God, that are experiencing some measure of this abundant life. And I pray that their spirit, that their words would draw all men and women toward you, God, because they see the life that's found in Jesus. And God, many of us have been pursuing a, significant, a significance that's not there. It's a success that doesn't last. It's, it's just a facade, God. God, we want to repent of that. We want to move away from that pursuit. We want to move into a pursuit of you more fully. But God, whatever it is that we need in this season, would you provide it? Whatever it is that you're calling us into, would we hear your voice and take those steps? Practice what we've heard today. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.